Good morning and welcome. We trust you had a thankful week. Amen. Uh, we are in Acts chapter 16, verse 25 this morning. If you, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. The ushers will, will get one to you. Acts 16.25, we are told that at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do? To be saved. What a great question, huh? Kind of wish somebody would ask us that every day, right? And so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes immediately. And he and all his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. He rejoiced, uh, having believed in God with all of his household. And when it was day, the magistrates sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. And so the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans. And have thrown us into the prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And Paul could be a tough guy at, some, at certain points. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans because they had beaten them. And then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. And so they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Lord, how we are so thankful to know you, the true and the living God. How, Lord, we, we praise you for your incredible grace. It's so magnanimous. Lord, you're always shedding your grace and your mercy upon us. And, Father, as we see Lord Paul and Silas, Lord, uh, in prison, having been beaten, Lord, uh, we just see how, Lord, you can take the worst things that the world throws at us, and you can bring blessing. Lord, blessing out of blastings. Lord, you can bring beauty out of ashes. And we thank you, Lord, that you're here today. Lord, that you might do that perhaps in our lives, maybe in a fresh way. Lord, as we were singing a moment ago, we need you. Lord, that's the, that's the tune that we could be singing every day, because we do. 
Lord, we are indeed a needy people. And we look to you, Lord. You're a source. You're a supply. And so we come to you with adoration and praise and, and blessing today. And we ask you, Lord, to take your word in a fresh way. And Father, just to speak, Lord, freshly, Lord, into our lives. Lord, uh, you are the one who has the words of eternal life. Lord, we thank you that your spirit is a spirit of truth. And Lord, we thank you that you grant and give to us that wherewithal, Lord, uh, that ministry from your spirit, the truth, whatever it is that we need to hear, Lord, uh, as you give us that, we're able to, to just go on and continue, Lord, to just point people to you. So, Father, we pray that you would bless our time today. And thank you for those, each and every one that's here. And, Lord, we pray that you would just bless. And again, Lord, on this week of Thanksgiving, we're thankful, Lord. We're, we're just a truly grateful people. Lord, we, we discover it's too easy to complain. But, Lord, we thank you that you call us to be a grateful people. And, Lord, we are. We're thankful for all that you have wrought, all that you're presently doing, and all that you have yet to do in the days ahead. Lord, we just want to keep walking with you, Lord, keeping our hand in your hand. Lord, a safe place is always, Lord, by your side, following after you, Lord. So, Father, we pray we commit these matters to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We entitled our, our message this morning that we share in Christ's sufferings. You know, First uh, Peter, uh, kind of the epistle, pretty much the bulk of the epistle is about suffering. Uh, but he says over in chapter 4, I think it's verse 13, uh, that we could rejoice in the fact that uh, we receive and we, we partake, uh, we share in the sufferings of Christ, you know, when we're rejected. Uh, sometimes when you lose friendships and uh, people may be looking down on you or as inferior, just kind of reading that recently in the book of Job. Here was his friends, uh, his three friends, and um, they had such a superior attitude when he was going through his trial. Uh, and yet they were the ones that were in the wrong and Job was in the right. And so God is wonderfully faithful to minister to us as we represent him, you know, to a world that is so, uh, so needy. Our world is becoming so dark in these days and at this time. And how important it is. Remember, Jesus said to you and I, um, he said about us, you are the light of the world. You know, he was the light when he was here walking this earth. But uh, that ministry has been passed on to us through the ministry of his spirit, you know, shining truth uh, into, the, into, you know, to, into the darkness of this world. And so many people, it's sad, to, it, it's sad that so many people this time of year will take their life. And how, isn't that tragic when you think about it, that they would simply take their life because maybe they've, they're, it, you know, I can remember you know, my mother would get so depressed this time of year. Uh, and, and I think part of the depression comes because you think everybody else is absolutely, utterly happy, and you're not. That's how depression is. You begin to, you know, just maybe look at yourself and your particular circumstances, you know, and the devil's right there to pile on, isn't he? Uh, you know, to make us feel, you know, all the more isolated and depressed and all that. But you know what? We're walking with the king. And, uh, and you know what? We mention this often, but, you know, this life for the believer, whatever you're going through, this is the worst it gets. Now, for the unbeliever, this is the best it gets. Because when this life is over, it's not, not a pretty deal. Um, and again, when this life is over, whatever we've had to endure 
uh, for Christ. Uh, well, you know what? We'll consider it. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, when we're humiliated or we're beat up by some degree of suffering or some trial, uh, you know, I think when we look back at that, when we're, you know, we cross that, we cross the Rubicon there and we go into eternity, we'll look back and we'll think every, every time we suffered for Christ, every time maybe we were rejected, every trial, what a badge of honor. Lord, thank you that you have chosen us for those kinds of things. So that's why he says, Peter says, rejoice, rejoice in the things that you and I will have to go through because we glorify God in those. Now, as we look at this text here, God who is perfectly just. He will at times allow you and I to be treated unjustly, to be treated unfairly, to be be taken advantage of, to be exploited in in some kind of way. And you know, the world today is all about justice, right? The social justice and all that sort of thing. Uh, But you and I oftentimes, you know, we will experience, you know, injustice because of Jesus Christ. And he will allow that. He will allow that because he wants to show the world, or maybe perhaps he wants to show that particular person what they're really like. That there's something about when you and I just receive poor treatment or ill treatment, and when you take that in stride, uh, our natural tendency, I think, is to sort of respond in kind, isn't it? You know, whether it's, a, whether it's an action or whether it's a word, have you ever just sort of caught yourself, you know, uh, as a Christian, when somebody says something to you and you just want to... You just, you know, there's some, the thought comes up like that, and you want to say it, but the Holy Spirit keeps you from pulling the trigger. Um, you know, just the, the value. There's such a value in humility, because that's the nature of Jesus. Remember, Jesus said that in Matthew 11, uh, 28 through 30. He said, you know, I am meek and lowly learn of me, or learn from me, uh, to, again, communicate. We're always, he always uh, is working in such a way for us to communicate his nature in some kind of way, whether they realize it or not. I think a lot of times people will just maybe evaluate you and I and look at you and I and say, what a nice person. You know, as if we came from the cradle, just, you know, perfect and innocent and all those kinds of things. But, of course, we know who we are. But because of Christ in us, people may say that. They may think that of us. And I think they should uh, because I really believe that one of the greatest tools of evangelism is how you and I live for Jesus, how we present him. How we represent him, you know, before our culture or before our world. People are, you know, people are, you know, it's, it's amazing, too, how often we are looking for example in other people. Because, um, you know, something about that, you know, as dark as our world gets, I think the darker it gets, you know, the scripture says we could shine like lights, uh, as, just like the stars in the firmament. And, and you know, people, in a sense, they, they, when they see the integrity or they see the love of Christ, they see the empathy or the compassion that's represented, you know, uh, representative of Jesus. But when they see that at work in a practical kind of way in your, in your life, uh, I think it opens the door for people to sometime, you know, at some point say, you know, um, you know tell me about your Jesus. Tell, tell me about him. And um, I'm kind of waiting for that to happen in my neighborhood because I didn't realize for the longest time why people were not speaking to me. And I was like, What's, what do I get, the plague or something like that? And, I, and, it, came, and it hit me one time uh, when I realized, and look at all the neighborhood uh, Wi-Fi codes. Uh, Honey, what's ours? Jesus what? Jesus saves. And, uh, and I realized that's what it is. They're afraid to talk to me because they think that, you know, I'm going to pin them 
um, beat them on the head with the Bible and not let them come up for any air until they confess that Jesus is Lord, you know, kind of a thing, and uh, which is simply not the case. I mean, I'd love to do that. But, uh, you know, when you... Uh, when it comes to this whole matter of just witnessing, it's, it's, you know, it's a delicate matter. We need to really pray for the approach, you know, in a sense, for, for you know, each and every person. But again, how important it is you know, that we're really representing him. So as we come to uh, Acts 16 here, uh, the apostles, you know, they're in jail. Uh, they're suffering. And uh, we're looking at a similar situation where their treatment is absolutely unjust. And it's like that old adage goes, no good deed will go unpunished. Uh, we see that in our world today. That's always the, the way it's simply been. And, of course, they, you know, the, the, remember the uh, young gal who had the spirit of divination, demonized girl. Um, you know, the Lord set her free, and this is what happens as a result of that. So uh, as we come to our heroes there, they're in chains. Uh, they're beaten. Uh, they're bloodied. Uh, they've been, you know, their backs are basically open. When you get, you know, 39 lashes... Um, or welts with a rod, uh, you're pretty beat up by that. And certainly that is the case as we see here. And, and the thing that we look at these guys, and they're not crying, they're not whining, they're singing. I mean, when I read this, sometimes you know, it seems so otherworldly, doesn't it? Because isn't it amazing how easy it is for us to just sort of lapse into self-pity? You know, somebody, they, they didn't recognize me, you know, kind of a thing. Or, you know, some other trivial little thing sometimes that can just sort of, you know, tweak us in such a way where we're kind of feeling sorry for ourselves, but you know, here they are just rejoicing and praising God, uh, and it's not that just the fact that they're in stocks, you know, they're in chains, but the fact is they're bloodied, that they've been really beaten up, and who knows, you know, as we said, oftentimes that's the kind of thing that that can kind of kill somebody, and and so you can say in a sense as they're in prison now they have a captive audience. Um, have you ever been? I, I can remember a number of times over the years when you're with some other Christians, and maybe you're in a restaurant in a public setting, and the fellowship starts taking place, and all of a sudden, you know, the voices get elevated, and you're praising the Lord, and you're thanking God, and you're just sharing stories, and you look around, and people are going like this. They're, and you've got this captive audience. Uh, sometimes it can happen, you know, you're in, you're in the elevator, <laughs> and uh, you're there with another believer, and you just, you know, you just can't help but speak, you know, about the things of God. And, uh, and you never know when someone's listening in, when someone's eavesdropping on your, sit, on your, your, uh, your, your conversation. And of course, that's what's taking place here, because when you're in prison, you got nothing else to do, right? Uh, you only want some fresh news or uh, maybe somebody who's, who's newly come into the prison. And so uh, at midnight, we're told they're praying, singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And, and you know, there's something, there's something special about spirit-led prayers, and spirit-led conversation. It has a wonderful way of drawing people in because that's what God, that's, that, that's what it does. Uh, you know, it, it, it reaches out in a sense and sort of grabs people's attention. And that's why when you find yourself maybe in one of those kinds of, you know, opportunities, take advantage of it. Lift up your voice. You know, speak, to, you know, speak about the Lord. Hey, you never know. And I believe that that's one of those little divine appointments. You never know that that person is, that is in listening to the conversation, maybe overhearing it, that is something that is just so relevant to them, it's going to resonate, uh, maybe even answer a question, or the case may be. Um, and I think that's simply the case that's taking place here. You know, the thing is, I believe because God's created us, he's put a hunger, a desire there, a, a longing 
you know, many of us before Christ, you know, our quest was maybe, you know, just maybe some kind of knowledge. You know, for me, it was, you know, um, psychology, philosophy, existentialism, that kind of thing. Uh, but as I gets, began to delve into it, I realized how empty it, it was. But there was something so, uh, you know, so attractive and magnetic about the truth that when I heard the truth for the first time, it began to just sort of pull me in. Uh, it caught my attention. I began to listen, you know. And I remember before I actually came to Christ that as I was listening to, and I had a few days before, uh, after my first exposure to the Lord, um, and of course my Margie had gotten saved before me, uh, and we had been just exposed to a bunch of just a, just a wonderful, radical group of young believers, and all they wanted to do was talk about Jesus. And, and uh, that was something so new to me. And I remember thinking as, you know, I just went through those few days, and it just seemed like we were with them. We were with them Friday night. Um, Margie was saved on a Thursday night. Friday night, we end up in the salt mine, uh, which used to be, a, it was a barn over here on Plank Road or State Road, um, and uh, uh, they used to have ministry there on the weekends. So that was our Friday night. And like all day Saturday, it's like I was just thrown into this whirlwind Christian kind of experience to be around people that were Christian, and I wasn't at that point. Then it was like all day Sunday, because after church, and church, you like church went from like 10 to 2 in the afternoon, and, uh, and you know, it was so refreshing. You know, sometimes, you know, you go f a little bit beyond a half hour, you know, people are looking at the clock, you know, uh, let me, I want to get out of here, and we're thinking about food and that sort of thing, and I can remember that, that service went to like 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and then we went over to somebody's house. And so I had this, I was like thrown into this uh, situation around these radical, crazy Christians. And I remember thinking this, and I wouldn't tell them because I didn't want to encourage them one bit. I, they did not need any encouragement. All they wanted to do was just, you know, convert me, and I knew it. And uh, so I just kind of stayed back in the shadows and listened to them. But I remember thinking this, I hope what they are saying is true. Because it sounded so good. And the other thing, too, it sounded so almost simplistic. Isn't that the beautiful thing about the, 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 Paul speaks about the simplicity that we have in Christ? You know, sin complicates things, doesn't it? And, and we, can, we can, in our own kind of way, have a certain kind of way of complicating things, you know, in our lives. But, you know, when you come to the Lord, it's an interesting, he has a way of just simplifying your, your life, simplifying your understanding uh, and that's why I think for some people, it might be a little too beneath them, a little too humbling, you know, when you just simply believe Jesus or when you just simply, you know, they think you're naive enough to go to the Bible and, and to read it um, and, to, and to believe it. But we come to realize it's not uh, naivete. We, we realize that it is faith, and, and that's our sustenance. That's our food. That's our, our blessed source. And so now as we come to this, uh, this uh, first section here in... Uh, uh, verses 25 and, and 26. Uh, you know, the Bible says, interestingly, over in Hebrews, uh, faith comes by hearing. Uh, you know what that means? Faith comes by listening. But, you know, when, when, when there's just a listening, that's the beautiful thing that, uh, and I, I didn't connect the dots, you know, for a long time, but I realized, yeah, in the ancient world, so many people were illiterate. People just didn't read. And not even if they could read to afford a copy of the Scriptures, and of course, we didn't even have the Scriptures until like, like 1,500, and then you had to be a wealthy person probably for the next couple hundred years to be able to get a hold of a Bible. That's why when it came to a Bible, you remember, you remember the expression, the family Bible, 
that's all one household could really afford, you know, one, you know, you know, one Bible because they were so incredibly expensive. Uh, so again, listening to just be just just to be able to listen to it uh, will encourage you, strengthen you, and it'll build up uh, your faith. And that's what's taking place here. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. Uh, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains uh, were loosed. And so I believe that this is simply, this is a miraculous earthquake. And, and we're told it's a great earthquake. And I think God just simply, you know what he's looking down? He's giving his people, his men who have been faithful, he's giving them affirmation, and he's also giving them deliverance. And also, too, he's giving them a great opportunity. Because God, you know, and, and, and I imagine maybe for a while, uh, maybe they had been in the stocks for six hours. It's midnight. And kind of wondering, Lord, how are you going to work this situation out? Because we know from, the, you know, we know from reading up to this point, they were sent, that they were directed. This is the first big city in the sense that they come to uh, Philippi, and before you know it, man, they're in jail. They're beat up. Just like you and I, when we have to go through some trying circumstance or trial, we wonder when things begin to go south, Lord, what's going on? Am I in the right place? You know, do we make a left when we should have made a right? They're exactly where God wants us to be. And a lot of times we are too. I think sometimes, at least it was my thinking for the longest time, if you're right in the will of God, everything should be, you know, hunky-dory. Everything should be peachy and keen. And, and, and wonderful, there shouldn't be any adversity at all. But you know, when you come to the Bible, it's a different story. But we see God in it. We see God wonderfully working you know, in this situation. And you know, sometimes, you know what? It, it isn't coincidental when God has to shake things up. You know, I'll tell you what, I think God's shaking up America. And I don't know if you ever hope to return to normal, but we ain't going back. There's going to be certain people that have made sure of that. But you know, God uses the shakings, you know, in our lives to reveal himself over. And in Hebrews chapter 12, uh, kind of speaks to this effect when he says, the writer says here, see that you do not refuse him who speaks, for they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth. Much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth. He's speaking about the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Uh, whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also, uh, also heaven. And now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made are physical or material. The th that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. You see, he, 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 he works within the lives of people, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's corporately or even in, in also he's, he individually is working to reveal himself. And sometimes, you know what, he has to shake things up and shake things that maybe we're holding on to, to, to set us free. He, he's always working to bring us into closer proximity with himself, isn't he? And sometimes things that, you know, we just, we, we tend to because, we, you know, uh, we live in this, uh, uh, this uh, finite uh, realm 
uh, where we have to deal with materials every day, and sometimes we just were hanging on to the wrong things. And our world is doing that. You know, we hear, we hear um, expressions like, you know, my safe place. And, and, you know, it's interesting how we even come into this world, you ever notice how children cleave, they hang on to something? They'll hang on to their bottle, their binky, their, their blanket. Uh, we're, we're, in a sense, we're, we, we sort of redefine that when we get older. But, but we hold on to things. That's why for many people in our world today, it's, it's, it's gold, it's money. It, that's my security. That's when, when things get tough. That's, what I'm, that's, what I'm going, that's going, to, going to be my go-to thing. And sometimes God has to just remove those things and shake things up in such a way to, to bring us, you know, to himself, to bring us, you know, to set us free, even as believers. Sometimes we can get our lives just sort of, you know, just sort of cluttered up with a lot of things. And God may have to, sh- he may have to shake up our personal economy, our personal situation. But I believe he's doing it in our world today. Because many people, they're just, they're just, you know, they have their, 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 their security, their security blanket, something they're holding on to. And God is working to bring us unto himself and to set us free from those things that we're cleaving to him. Remember, Mary did that at the graveside. Now he said, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace uh, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. And sometimes, yes, he may have to burn up some dross and uh, remove certain things. And, and again, his purpose here in this earthquake is he's setting people free, breaking chains. You know, as many people in our world today that their life is just basically encompassed in chains, but they don't think so. That, that's the deception, I think, of sin. Somebody makes a certain choice, uh, but after they make that choice, all of a sudden, that practice or that activity, uh, that habit, whatever the case may be, it's all of a sudden, it has them, and they find they cannot break away. And, and that's why he's, he's breaking these chains. He is setting people free and bringing it. See, our, the truth, that's why you know, the Scripture says, I think it's in John 8, if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. There is no other freedom. And that's why, you know, Americans, you know, we think, well, and we're just, isn't it amazing how we're always clamoring for more freedom? But one thing you come to realize that, that with the Lord, there are parameters, there are constraints and restraints upon our life. And, and in our freedom, in our relationship with him, he says, don't, you know, don't sin. You know, be, be careful with your life because you'll lose your freedom. And many people have simply, you know, we, live in a, we live in a world of, of habitual slavery. People just addicted to so many different things out there. And, and the only freedom, the only, only release is when we come and turn our lives over to Jesus Christ. So yes, he has broken some physical material chains, but the purpose is for something far greater. And nobody knew here. Nobody understood. Paul and Silas probably did not figure out that God was after the warden, probably after some others as well. But isn't that amazing? God throws the guys in prison because he wants to save the warden. <laughs> well, couldn't we just go up and talk to him? You know, did we have to, you know, did we have to get beaten? Do we have to get in prison? You know, God's ways 
You know, the Bible says over in uh, Hebrews, uh, excuse me, uh, Romans chapter 11 for 33, his ways are past finding out. And sometimes why we have to go through certain things. But if going through them brings redemption, as it may cost us something, we have to realize that. That, that as a Christian, that making a difference for Jesus and living for Jesus will cost me something. It may cost us our comfort. It may cost us our convenience. It may cost us relinquishing my plan for my life or my plan for my time. And if that's the case, God's going to bring something beautiful out of it and bless it out of it. But you know what? The thing is, we have to be willing. We have to be willing to pay a price. It's interesting, this was the price that Paul and Silas paid to share the gospel and to see people get saved. The keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Now, this was according to the Roman, what was called the Coda Justinian. And basically, uh, it was, if, if you were guarding prisoners, if you were a soldier, uh, or you were some type of guard, it was basically your life for their life if they get away. It was called, you know, the, 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 the uh, actual name was the Code of Justinian. And so um, that made you very vigilant, okay? That made you very careful. And so knowing that he was going to, you know, the, 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 the prison walls, maybe one of the walls fell out and everybody's chains fell off or whatever the case may be, they're all gone. This guy is basically already made a decision. He's probably already thought about it. He's probably paid pretty well for what he did. And, and I imagine knowing there, you know, that in the back of the worst-case scenario, I imagine he thought about that. That's why all of a sudden he's that quirky. I'm going to take my life before I go before the inquisitors and they're going to torture me. But what is interesting, we look here for this man, this could have been the worst day of his life, but it becomes the best day ever. It becomes the best day ever because of why divine intervention. Isn't it awesome to see the Lord just sort of move into a situation? And change the dynamic of it. You see, he's there for us to do that. And we may see this and read this as, oh, this, what a great narrative, what a great story, but the, that kind of stuff can never happen for me. Well, it can happen for us, but it doesn't mean it has to happen in that same exact way. There are divine interventions that God wants to, you to be a part of and to use you. So Paul calls out with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm. We are all here. And he called for a light, ran in, fell down before, uh, trembling before Paul and Silas. So here, the, basically, the guy's about to commit suicide. And suicide is always based on either depression or hopelessness uh, or some fear. Um, or it's, it's always insufficient uh, information. 
when, when somebody comes to that place and they, they, they simply don't want to live anymore or that, you know, a fear, whatever the case may be, um, that's all, there's always insufficient because the insufficient information is the fact that, you know, God could intervene here. God could step in to the worst situation possible. You know, we may know somebody, maybe somebody in our sphere of friendships that may be contemplating suicide this, this time of year. And the Lord wants you, and you may not even, that's the beauty of just saying, Lord, would you just use my life? Lord, will you just direct me? Would you just use my life? And all of a sudden, you just make this phone call or you send this text out to somebody and you just find out, you know, when you connect with them, they're so depressed, that they're so discouraging. You say, hey, you know what? Let me pray for you. Or Can we get together for some coffee? You know, little things like that. They, they, those, little, those little opportunities sometimes, those little doors, they become, you know, these portals through which God might wonderfully work and reach out and touch someone's life. There was a time in my life, there was a time in my life where I, I thought about suicide. And it's a funny thing, it's a funny thing that the more that you think about it, the more plausible it becomes in your thinking. Maybe you've never been there, praise God. But the fact of the matter is, there, there's something, there's something when people begin to really think about that, there's something almost demonic that seems attractive about it. And I remember thinking that. I remember thinking that. But praise God, you know, he has a wonderful way of maybe sending somebody along or, or you know, reaching out to us. Uh, sometimes, you know, some, sometimes somebody can't be reached by another person. And the Lord, by his spirit, to just, you know, reaches in to touch that needy situation. So he called for a light, he, and uh, the guy comes in, trembling, falling down before the apostles. And, and, and the glorious truth of this is, you know what? God can reverse your situation in a moment of time. He does it all the time. He just reverses, you know. We hear the term in the world, the reversal of fortunes. And for, you know, the secular-minded person, it's just, you know, it's coincidental. You know, it's good luck. Oh, man, I had a stroke of luck. What we need is a stroke of Jesus. And a lot of times, I think, when God does intervene like that, even in, you know, when you think about it, you know, the Lord loved us from the foundations of the world. So he was working in your life before you even knew it, before you were even saved. Now, you still had to make that choice. But it said he knows us before the foundation of the world, so he is working. And I looked back, one of the first things I did after I got saved at 25, I looked back at different rescues, different interventions, different things that, that were either traumatic or significant, and I saw God's hand. I saw his fingerprints. Oh, Lord, you were there. I was blind and ignorant, but Lord, you were there watching over, intervening, and helping. You know, there's a couple of stories that come out of the Billy Graham ministry, you know, about this, this kind of thing about God reaching them. And this is probably, these come out of the Graham organization and probably uh, relative to the Crusades and where he was speaking. 
And this one here says, Tonight for the first time, I know the feeling of being at peace. Over the past months, I have been struggling with temptation that has threatened the happiness of my marriage, threatened to separate me from my husband and my children. And I have tried to receive Christ while still holding back part of myself. And I tried to fight temptation without his help, so to speak. But tonight, you spoke of the ego and the I in sin and the I in Lucifer. And I realize that alone I can do nothing and alone I am nothing. I received Christ as my Savior and accepted his love with thanksgiving. Here's one that comes out of North Carolina. Before your wonderful sermon last Saturday night, my husband and I were about to give up. Our marriage was just about on, on the rocks. We were constantly bickering and quarreling. We had, a discuss, we had discussed seeing a marriage counselor. But during your sermon, God spoke to each of us in a wonderful way. Immediately after, we went into our bedroom got down on our knees, and gave our hearts to God. Thank God our marriage is saved. And this one here comes from New York. I feel different now. You see, I've been quite sick and very depressed. I have even thought of doing away with myself, but now all that's changed. You have just given me something wonderful to live for. And of course, that's Jesus. You know, that's his marvelous and wonderful grace at work, you know, saving us. And you know, the thing is, he never stops saving us, Right? I look back over my life, uh, 40-some years, and, and, uh, and yes, I, at a certain point in history, you're saved. You know, you, you, uh, you know, God wonderfully has brought you into that plan of, of eternity with him. But the fact is, you know, we're going through life. There's all kinds of different things that we have to navigate, all trials, that we, things that we have to go through. And you know what? I'm thankful for his saving grace that works continually, you know, Back in 1975, I was saved from hell and the devil and, and, a, and a wasted eternity. But, you know, since then, I need to be saved from me. You know, some of the goofy, crazy ideas that we have at times uh, that are not really uh, God's will and purpose for our life, but maybe we just feel you know, tempted or pulled in a certain direction. So uh, his wonderful saving grace. Now, we understand here, looking at verse 30, you know, from this next statement, that whatever they prayed about, whatever they had been talking about, and I think they had been there for a number of hours at this particular point, these other people listening realized there was something there they needed. And that's the beautiful thing about bringing Christ into the conversation. It makes people hungry. It, it makes people thirsty. Uh, there, there's, there's something that will come out in the conversation that will resonate with that person and that particular need in their life. You can't figure that out. You can't work that out. You can't plan that. That's just something wonderful that takes place when God's people get together and we're fellowshipping and we're talking, not just about sports, <laughs> but about the Lord and, and always looking for an opportunity you know, to bring him into the conversation, never, never knowing, you know, Who's listening and how they're interpreting that in their life? You know, the other thing too is, you know, after you've known the Lord for, you know, for for a long period of time, you just sort of sometimes you just take it for granted. You you, you just take it for granted, uh, kind of a thing. Uh, but we forget how empty and needy people are around us. And I'm always saying, Lord, give me a love for the lost, because I'll tell you what, naturally I don't love them. As a matter of fact, a lot of times they really get on my nerves especially when I'm driving. 
when they cut me off, I don't say, oh, Lord, bless them. Bless them today. I need to say that. I don't say that. But listen to this man, this jailer, this warden. Uh, uh, you know, according, listen to the imperative. And these are his own words. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Is that a great question? And we just, we, as, as a Christian, we long for people to come up and ask us that. What must I do to be saved? And maybe that will happen if we're more vocal. And I know this culture is sort of tam- is always tamping us down. Don't allow it. I think there's a special blessing when we speak of Christ in face of the pressure that's out there in our world today. I think if we knew how close we were to the Lord's coming, I think it would change a lot of things with all of us. Now, we know He's coming. We believe that. It's part of our, you know, eschatology, our theology. but to have that imminent sense. Since he's going to come in the clouds, that means he can come at any time in Rochester, okay? Any time. Now, here's what they say in 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. It's amazing how simply profound that is. It's, it's profound in its simplicity. But for the same reason, it's confounding. You mean just receive Jesus in my life and he's going to heal my marriage. People say that to you. Oh, just pray to ask him in your heart and in your life and my life is going to change. Sure. And that's how people think. And sometimes people will express it in that kind of way. But isn't that the beauty of the simplicity? Of the gospel. That he will wonderfully transform. And, and I remember the very afternoon I accepted Christ. I was heading home to, to Farmington. The first thing that changed for me was my thinking. And it was remarkable to me that I said to myself, I can't stop thinking about God. I can't stop thinking about them. And isn't it wonderful for, for, for us who know him to wake up in the middle of the night and all of a sudden you're thinking about God? Get up in the morning, you're thinking about the Lord. It's constantly percolating up out of your life and into your thinking all through the course of the day. What a great thing. What an awesome thing. And it's, just, it's in a sense, it's just testimony to ourselves that we're redeemed and that he's thinking about us. It's not, not, just, it's not just some one-way thing that we have to just kind of work it up. <laughs> he's thinking about us. His thoughts about 
And that's the hard thing about, you know, this, the, you know the, the whole concept of, you know, almighty God. That he cares about individuals. Cares about you, your trials, your circumstances, your situation. He's thinking about that. Thinking how he wants to help you out of it. And you're able to work through it. And not only just going through it, you're able to grow through it and grow deeper with him. So believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved in your household. Now, this doesn't guarantee that, every, that everybody's family is going to get saved. But you know what it does speak of? There's a great potential here. There's a great potential as he gets hold of one person. And I've seen him do this so many times. He just gets hold of that one person in the family. And, and in a wonderful way, you know, that the, the faith and the example, the experience of that one believer is so impactful. Because once you get saved, there's a difference there between being saved and not being saved. And, and, and when people who don't know the Lord, and they know that. And it's not that you're any better than them. But God's spirit, he comes upon your life. And, and there's something wonderful that's communicated by God's presence in our life. Even when we don't feel it or we don't think it's happening. But we're making impact. We're touching other people's lives through him. Eventually, in this case, wonderfully, the whole family is going to come to Christ. And again, that, there's a potential there for you and I. If we'll trust him. Now, verse 32. <clears throat> they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night... And washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. You know, Dr. Luke, interestingly, you know, the physician, he points this out. Because here we have this guy who, obviously, he's capable of great cruelty. And if, you know, you're in that kind of situation, uh, you're seeing, you know, you're seeing your people all the time that are violent, that are being beaten by the authorities and so forth. And I... I you come to realize what police have to face as they face violent situations, domestic problems. I mean, basically, when they go to work, they're facing problematic situations from, begin, from, the, from the start to the end. And I had, when I came back, uh, when I got out of the service, like many of my, my buddies, uh, a number of them went into the Philadelphia police force, and I watched a personality change. I watched just a personality change take place and just a, a hardness that took place as they were dealing with these situations and circumstances, arresting people, dealing with violence, being threatened themselves and all that, you know, sort of thing. You know, we, we hear the, 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 the stories. And, uh, and no doubt this man, he, he could be very hardened. Here he takes on the role of a medic. He's patching them up. He's fixing them. He's treating their wounds. And, and the beautiful thing about this is, you know, when we hear truth, 
how important it is for it to be lived out. And you see it here. You know what? Salvation, folks, is observable. It's intangible in many ways. But it's observable when it's at work within the lives of God's people. And here this guy, all of a sudden, Christ has come into his life and immediately there was a transformation, there was a change. It may not happen that way with everybody. But transformation will take place. But for this man, it's immediate. He's, he already becomes a nurse. And then we see he takes them into his house and he feeds them. You know, God's grace. God's amazing grace. Transforming lives. He doesn't just change, you know, our eternal destination. He wonderfully does that. But he changes us presently. How we handle people. How we deal with circumstances and situations. Like I said, salvation is an observable thing. Are people seeing it? Are they seeing it in us? Are they seeing God's grace demonstrated in some kind of way? Like I said, you know, it's not because we beat people on the head, on the head with the Bible or we corner them. Or we're always singing happy hallelujahs. There's sometimes there's folks like that. But I think just watching us in the day-to-day, -day, you know, here we are in the workplace, and we get mistreated by the boss, and all this work dumped on us. And everybody knows it, and everybody's thankful that that all didn't happen to them, and they're looking at you. They're looking over at you and your cubicle and your workbench, whatever the case may be, and they're saying, wow. If that was me, I would have I said something. And they're watching. They're watching us as neighbors. Sometimes when we do something, you know, go, <laughs> go over and snowplow somebody's driveway. Somebody's, we hear somebody's sick, so we go, we cut their grass. <laughs> and we hear somebody's having a difficult time. We go out and buy a number of bags of groceries and just, you know, put it on their front step and push the doorbell and run. <laughs> There's so many opportunities for us to just simply have Jesus working in and through us. So now he brought them into his house, set food before them, rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household, his entire family. Now, as we come to verse 35, the, the authorities have actually committed a crime. You know, sometimes they think they're above the law. Happened to our governor. It happens to a number of political figures. You know, they get caught their hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. And they think that perhaps, you know, that they're above the law. The thing they didn't get here was due process. They're Roman citizens. You know, they have rights. You know, when you think about a, when you had the citizenship card as a Roman, it was a very important, you know, possession. Uh, if you remember Paul speaking to, to a centurion at one point, and uh, Centurion says, you know, after he finds out Paul's a Roman, he says, well, how'd you get your, how'd you get your citizenship? He said, well, I was freeborn. Uh, so obviously, uh, 
Paul's parents uh, were Roman citizens, and, and, and that's one way that you could receive that. But this centurion said, I purchased my citizenship with a great, for a great deal of money. And so it was kind of like, you know, it was like really having almost like a diplomatic card. Now, if you were a Roman citizen, you committed a crime, you could be, you could be put in jail. But the fact of the matter is, you better had free, free, uh, good treatment, fair treatment. And uh, you, had to, you had to have basically due process, um, you know, in their treatment of you, fair justice, and, you know, the, you know a, a court here. Now, this here was sort of like a kangaroo kind of a court uh, taking place here. And so uh, the authorities here, they send the next day in verse 35, say, let these men go. You know, we gave them a good whip, and they learned their lesson. And, and that would probably be appropriate for some people. Some criminals. But it wasn't for them. But you know, the funny thing is, we can always factor in and see the wisdom of Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good. For you and me, for the children of God. To those who love God are called according to his purpose. It's amazing how applicable that is in so many situations. Painful situations. Because the thing is, as a Christian, folks, God doesn't, we're, we're not exempt from trials. We're not exempt from the problems of life. The, the promise is, this is what we can expect. The Lord said, I'll be with you in it. I'll, I'll help you get through that. Like we were singing, you know, it seems to be every generation has one of those kind of songs. There's an old hymn like that. You know, I need the every hour, the old hymn. And, and I love this new version. Because we need him. We, we need him moment by moment. Constantly there that we might rely upon, that we might look to him. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us openly, uncondemned, being Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. You know, Paul is not going to let them sweep it underneath the carpet. And it's not Paul's pride or ego, okay? I am convinced it is not that. That he's offended just for his citizenship's sake. Because remember, Paul knowingly could have pulled the card if he didn't want to take the beating. He could have pulled that card out early on. Said, hey, wait a minute. What are you doing? We're Roman citizens. See, he could have done that very easily. But he took a beating. Why would the apostle Paul, why is Paul and Silas, why would they take a beating like this? What's the rationale there? What's, what's the purpose there? So he said here, basically, you've, you've beaten us, thrown us into prison. Now you're going to throw us out secretly. No, indeed. And let them come themselves and get us out. You see, Paul, I believe, willingly took this because he allowed them to do what they wanted to do because that would put them at a great advantage. The advantage now would shift over to the protection of the fledgling church. That's the rationale behind it. And what I see in that is the nature of Jesus. What parent, and Paul even uses that analogy at one point, 
But what parent would not take a beating for their child? Not even a question. Not even a question. Beat me. We would do anything to protect our children or protect our spouse. You see, that's the nature of Jesus. And Paul knew that he would have them at a disadvantage because they broke the law. And that advantage now of protection would be afforded to hear this new fledgling church. Just the grace of God. That's why it's important, I think, for us, too, to be willing. To be willing to sacrifice. Because when we are, something redemptive comes out of it. I don't think Paul, when he, when he decided to take that beating, because both him and Silas were Roman, Roman citizens, I don't think he was even thinking about the jailer or the people in there. I think he was just thinking about the church. He says, I know if I take this, they have broken the law. They could have lost their position. They could have even been put in jail, those magistrates, for what they did. And Paul knew that. And Paul said, you know what? I'm going to take the beating. I want to protect the, the new kids. <laughs> God's amazing love at work. You know, when you think about some of the things that sacrifice that we have to make, you know what? They're all temporary. They're all temporary. You know, Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he gives a list there of all the things that he endured for the gospel. And you know what? I don't think he regrets one bit. I always, when I think about that, uh, I think about that movie, which represents a true story, where uh, Schindler, the war is over, and... Uh, even though he saved something like 1,500 Jews, he, he basically lost all of his money. He was an industrialist. Um, he lost everything to save lives. But because he had been a member of the Nazi party, you know, he, 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 uh, when it came to the end, he's there in the factory. Maybe you uh, read the book or saw the movie. And he's telling, you know, he's speaking to all the, the Jews all these uh, Jewish folks that he had, that he had saved. And, uh, and it was kind of interesting because he says, well, now that, uh, now that the war is over, I'm, you know, I have to, I have to go because I'm a Nazi and I don't want the Russians to get a hold of me because he was, they were in uh, Eastern European country. And so they walk him out to his car and then he falls to the ground. He falls to the ground. And he's crying, he's weeping. And the Jewish elders, they go to help him up and pick him up. And are you okay? What's the matter? And he's reflecting on his life because now in a sense he's, he's come to a judgment. And he says, I wish I could have done more. I wish I would have saved more. 
I don't want us to come to the end of our life and to have regrets. I think Paul would say to us today, I'm thankful for every thing that was thrown at me in the name of Jesus. And I pray for us that we would not come to that place where we have those kind of regrets. That we don't have to say, I wish I would have lived more for Jesus. This life is temporary. What did Jim Elliott say? <laughs> Only one life soon will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. As we come to the end of another year, we're still waiting for the Lord. As we go into this new year, and I really truly believe, not that I don't want to, but I don't think we're ever going back to normal. Let's live for Jesus. Let's live for him. Let's seek him with all of our hearts, all of our lives. You know, when you look at this group here, interesting. First Church of Philippi, a businesswoman, a fortune teller, a warden in his family. Very unlikely group, isn't it? But the beautiful thing that you see here is all the barriers are removed when you come to Christ. When you're in Christ, there's no more barriers, no more gender, social, racial barriers. And Lord, we thank you for that. We, we praise you for our redemption, Lord. And little did Paul and Silas know that their being thrown into prison would, would bring a great emancipation. And Lord, sometimes you throw us into circumstances where we don't realize, Lord, what you're planning, what you're wanting to do. Help us, I pray, Father, to be like Paul, to be like Silas. That they allowed themselves, they put themselves in a vulnerable situation. And they did it lovingly, sacrificially. Lord, because of what you have done for us. It always goes back to that, Lord. Always goes back to your grace, your great heart, your act. So, Father, I pray that as we, Lord, move into this holiday season now, there, many, there may be many people around us that don't know you, and maybe they don't even want to know you. But, Lord, you've created them for your good pleasure. So give us, I pray, Father, opportunities, Lord, to reach out, Lord, to be concerned, to have a love for the lost. Lord, it's not in us naturally. And so, Father, I pray as we go, you'd bless and guide us. Be thou our strength, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all rise.